This is season six, episode 14 of Beyond the Illusion. The Ethical Psychic with Dr. Jennifer Lisa Vest. Dr. Vest is a healer, a psychic, and an academic, among many other things, with a vast amount of experience as a teacher and a student of many spiritual modalities. The wisdom shared with us in this conversation has immense value for people who are both practitioners of some kind and for people who are clients or potential clients of those practitioners. I highly recommend that you carefully listen to this episode or read The Ethical Psychic if you fall into either of those categories. As an avid reader, I found The Ethical Psychic to be one of those rare books that you can't put down because it talks to you on a different level. This book spoke to my soul, and I highly recommend it to everyone. Now, let's go to our conversation with Dr. Jennifer Lisa Vest, Tiana Roser, and myself, Tim Howe. passionate about this subject. I think it's such a timely topic, the ethical psychic. Timely this year from an astrological perspective of Saturn moving into Pisces, which for me is about spiritual maturity, discipline in our spiritual practices. But of course, on the bigger scale, the shift that we're going through collectively with so many people awakening now that are awakening to these spiritual gifts and abilities, but might not have the balancing life experience and maturity to really know how to use these gifts in an ethical way. So I'm so happy to have you as a guest and to really dig deeper into this topic today. One thought I had was, it's not just for psychics. <laughs> I'm really impressed by all the different modalities and gifts that you are utilizing in the world. And a couple of them you and I share as far as Reiki and QHHT. So a lot of these things are things when I teach Reiki classes that I'm trying to emphasize as well in terms of ethics, because I think in this field, I'm glad that this whole a lot of the wellness field and a lot of the spiritual field, it's not being regulated by the government because what does the government know about these things? But on the other hand, because of that, there are even well-meaning people that are violating people's space and sovereignty and so forth. So I really think that this is an important conversation for anyone who is a practitioner but also just anyone on a spiritual path, really. Yeah, I really did write it for everybody. It's called the ethical psychic, but it could also have been called the ethical healer or the ethical spiritual teacher or the guide for people seeking spiritual teachers or seeking psychics or seeking healers. How do you pick one? It really encompasses all of those topics. And yes, it is because of my background that you point out, you know, I am trained in so many modalities that I come at the subject from a lot of different perspectives so that whether a person is a psychic or a medium or a Reiki master or a spiritual teacher or a psychic teacher, they could get something from this book uh, because I, I come to it with all of those different approaches. I don't know a lot about astrology, which is going to embarrass my mother, who's an astrologer. <laughs> <laughs> I know a little bit, but I, I am excited that it is well-timed. I was guided by spirit to write this book when I wrote it, and they mostly channeled it and gave me the title. And, and the publishing of it happened very magically, you know, <laughs> and so it also felt very guided. And so perhaps it was supposed to be published at this time. Divine timing, for sure. Right. Yeah. And I'm just a dabbler in astrology. I'm not expert at all. I like to listen to experts who know, but all of these different modalities and all of these different systems, they spiritually, 
they mostly seem to complement each other. It's not like, oh, we have to choose one or another. A lot of them are just giving us different inputs and different ways to understand our interconnectedness and the web that we're all a part of. I really appreciate, again, how the information that you have here can be applied across really any modality or any practice. Yeah, I even had people come to my book talks and say that they're not even psychics, but they read the book and found it valuable because they're looking for a psychic or they're looking for a teacher. And yeah, I've had all kinds of practitioners give me positive feedback. You know, we all have different gifts and what's important is that we get trained in the gifts that are in alignment with our life purpose. Because of my life purpose, I was directed to receive a lot of different types of training. And I also have a background as a philosophy professor. And so I feel like my background being trained in Native American ceremony and Caribbean ceremony and spiritual healing and spiritualism and all of these modalities, and then also having the academic background really kind of perfectly situated me to write this book. And with regard to what you say about the about we don't have standards, this is part of why I wrote the book. I'm actually developing my own school, Metatron's Academy of Spirit and Science, or Supersensory Science. And the purpose of the school is actually to bring together psychic information with science. And also as a medical intuitive, I'm really interested in us creating some type of standards for medical intuition so that we can start to work in larger numbers with other healthcare providers because so many people would benefit from having a medical intuitive on their health team. But right now there's so much resistance by mainstream medicine and Part of it is because of this idea that, oh, if you're in the psychic field, your work is not empirical, it's not scientific, it's not verifiable. And then if you're in different science fields, there's this expectation that you're not bringing intuition on board. But of course, all the most famous, most impactful scientists in our history were all mystics. They all talked about receiving guidance <laughs> from the other side. Einstein, Edison, Tesla, there were so many and also, there's a way in which you can do psychic work and focus on verification as well. And medical intuition is one of those areas, which I think is probably why I was attracted to it with my background in science and philosophy, but then also being a lifelong psychic. I think it made sense for me to go into a field where I could combine, you know, that which is verifiable with that which is intuitive and mystical. So I do think the future of this work is going to be that we do have more standards and more guidelines. But the trick is going to be how do we create standards and guidelines for intuitive work without expecting it to just follow purely scientific methods of evaluation, because we have found that that doesn't work. So people have tried to do research on psychic gifts in laboratories and they've had mixed results because they've had kind of unrealistic parameters for their experiments that don't even take into account how psychic work works. And so that's because you have these people with really only one approach trying to evaluate something. And so my hope is that in the future, we can have teams of people who have training in scientific method, but who are also themselves psychic and or mystic. And then we can create some new research models that could evaluate and test psychic work and create standards for psychic and healing work that is really respectful of the way in which psychic work works. That's yeah. exciting to me because people that are not on the spiritual path will always say, oh, the science doesn't back it up. And I'm always saying, well, that's because the people who've been scientists don't have awakened consciousness. And so they're not <laughs> approaching it at the right way. Just like you're saying, they're not setting things up in a way that makes sense spiritually or energetically. So I'm in complete agreement with you that we need awakened scientists that can approach it with this balance of both sides of spirit and matter, bringing science and bringing our intuition, spiritual gifts, 
And I can see that in our lifetime happening because that's what the energies seem to be pointing out from astrology or other systems or just intuitively also what I sense and feel is that we are at this really exciting time where all of that's going to blossom. But of course, when things first kind of come into play, then it's kind of the Wild West. And it seems like we're at that point right now where a lot of people are waking up, but we don't quite have all of the foundational pieces in yet. I see so many people with plant medicine and things like this kind of having awakenings and not having ability to integrate it. And then other people coming in with spiritual materialism and wanting to capitalize it. So it's a really, really interesting time that we're in. And the idea that you are creating this institute, we're going to need a lot of those. So that's wonderful. What a wonderful idea. Yeah. I, I just quickly wanted to say that, first of all, I was really excited to talk to you because I read the book and it wasn't from just looking at the title it wasn't for me personally something that I would have probably picked up if I hadn't had this opportunity to talk to you. But once I started reading it, I literally couldn't put it down. It was just, <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things where I was just really pleasantly surprised. And it is a fantastically written book, by the way. Thank and, you. Oh, you're welcome. And it brought up a lot of things that I had never really considered or thought about. And I've been to a lot of people who practice different modalities. Just because of this podcast, a lot of people offer their services. And I never really had a framework for understanding the proper way of that someone should go about these types of things. And this book really lays it out very, very clearly. And like you said, it's really good for someone who's seeking out a practitioner as well. Like I feel like that's probably where its value is for me, at least was like, oh, wow, these people should be adhering to these types of rules for themselves and for everyone else. And uh, that was very useful. But the other thing I want to touch on is what you were just talking about is this fact that being a psychic isn't really in today's modern age, lending itself to be scientifically validated very easily. And I feel like part of that is because it's misunderstood as a natural gift People think of it as something that they're born with, but you laid out in the book that it's not necessarily all it is to it. You know, there's a lot of practice that went into at least what you do. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and maybe explain to people what kind of training you've been through and what you've done to kind of hone your, your skill. Okay. Thank you for that feedback on the book. I just love to hear that, especially someone who's not necessarily interested in the topic actually actually found the book interesting. Because, yeah. you know, when you're right, you have no idea how people are going to receive your writing. You just write and you're like, well, we'll see. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Regarding training, one of the things I do emphasize in the book, and it's something that I've emphasized with all of my students when I teach, is the importance of training and practice. There is this kind of misguided notion that some people have that if you're born with gifts, then that's it. You have gifts and now you can go out in the world and start practicing. That's simply not the case. And that is how a lot of harm happens is people who are not trained and who have not practiced and honed their gifts start using their gifts to help other people and they harm other people. So I started out, I've had gifts for as long as I can remember. I remember my birth. I remember things that happened when I was a toddler. I remember having a near-death experience when I was two and, and having you know spirit teachers talk to me. I had spirit teachers coming to me all through my childhood and taking me out of body at night and taking me to spirit school. And so that was really where my training began. I also had a great-grandmother who picked me out when I was two and said I was the one in my generation who had the gifts that she had. And for some reason... The gifts didn't manifest in my sisters. I do think they are gifted, but they just, for whatever reason, I guess it's not a part of their life purpose during this incarnation to do that work. But for some reason, I did very early. And so I got some initial training from her when I was very young. And then I had this kind of situation in my life where I was on this intellectual path. I just wanted to be an academic and I was very focused on education. And so I kept having all these experiences, but I kept trying to kind of keep them hidden and push them back. 
But what kept happening was teachers kept showing up in my life. I wasn't seeking teachers, but teachers kept seeking me. And so when I was in my 20s, I went to Trinidad. I was working on a master's thesis in history and was looking at the history of certain religions, Afro-Christian religions, and ended up going to Trinidad, joining the Shango Church, going to Trinidad, and just got like grabbed by these priestesses as soon as I got there. And I was uninitiated at the time. So you would have, I might have thought they'd be least interested in me and more interested in the initiated people who came over with the church, whereas I was just kind of a tag along. <laughs> but these priestesses all grabbed me and they said, Oh, you're a healer. You have the same gifts as us. You have to be trained. And they just started giving me an intensive training while I was there. The same thing happened when I went to Jamaica. A few years later, I was there ostensibly to do research for a professor. But again, all of these healers, all of these mothers in these different churches just kind of grabbed me. And they right away, like, as soon as I get off the boat, they're like, you're one of us and you need to be trained. And so I got training in Shango in Trinidad. And then in Jamaica, I got trained by a wide variety of of healers. Some of them were in revivalism. Some were in polkamania. Some were healers, some were herbalists, some of them were mediums. They went by different names. I'm just calling using these terms so people understand what they were doing. And then I later on in my 30s, I was going to a sweat lodge, which I had been sent to by my guides. And they said to go there for healing because I was sick. But then when I got there, the firekeeper grabbed me and said, You're a firekeeper, you have to be trained. And so then I trained as a firekeeper in the sweat lodge tradition. And that's basically been my path my whole life is that like elders in traditional forms of healing have have frequently approached me. And so I've had a lot of native elders and healers teach me things. I then at a certain point in my 40s, I finally started to take classes <laughs> like on my own of my own doing as opposed to being kind of dragged to it again and again by teachers. That was only because I became very sick and my dad sent me to a medical intuitive and she said, if you don't develop your gifts very explicitly and intentionally, you're going to stay sick. So I started just taking all of these classes in psychic development, mediumship, healing. I spent five years in the spiritualist community in Florida, taking classes from many, many different teachers. I also went on to get trained in Reiki and become a Reiki master. I studied pranic healing. I also worked for about 10 years with hypnotherapists doing past life regressions as a client. And then I also studied trance work and I combined the two and started using QHHT to get messages and to actually start channeling my guides intentionally throughout my life. Prior to that, I had been a spontaneous trance medium where I would just suddenly be taken over by spirits. And it was kind of scary for my classmates and kids I grew up with because I'd be at a sleepover. And then the middle of the night, I'd be speaking in some man's voice in some (laughs) other language. And I stopped going to sleepovers altogether. And no one in my family wanted to sleep in the same room with me. (laughs) So I had no control of this gift. So yeah, I was born with it. But I wasn't able to use it profitably for others because I didn't control it. And so I had to spend many years working with these hypnotherapists and also with trans channels to try to get control of that gift so that I was able then to channel my guides on demand. I then became certified as a QHHT practitioner, quantum healing hypnosis technique, so that I could help other people do past life and between life regressions. I then developed medical intuition. Now, medical intuition, I was not trained in by a human. I had this very strong ability to pick up medical information. And when I was in class doing these psychic readings and mediumship readings, I just kept getting medical information about my classmates, about people's dead relatives. I would always get cause of death. And my teacher said to me, you have the gift of medical intuition. It's very rare. You should specialize in that. Now, I was a philosophy professor. This was something I was only doing on the down low, in secret, primarily to get better. (laughs) And People kept telling me, no, you're a healer. You're supposed to be a healer. You're supposed to be a teacher. You're supposed to write about this. And I was like, no, no, I kept resisting it. But my medical intuition gift just 
was very strong. And so I began to explicitly develop that by creating a circle, a medical intuition circle with my best teachers. And we got together and we started practicing. After that, I started to practice with everybody else, friends and family. I then started to volunteer at churches, at metaphysical bookstores. And then I also, then I eventually started working for other people like metaphysical bookstores and like healing centers where I would do sessions. And so I just spent many, many years getting training and then also practicing before I actually hung a shingle and said, I'm a medical intuitive. And that's one of the things that I recommend to all of my students. I say, you don't just have a gift and take a workshop and start working with people because you don't know if you're accurate yet. And you don't know what the signs are that let you know that you're accurate because you haven't done enough practice to notice when you're right and when you're wrong. You haven't gotten enough feedback from people. So all those years that I was practicing, I was asking everybody I practiced on, I would give them free readings and I'd say, but in return, I need feedback. I need you to tell me what was right, what was wrong, what was vague. Be honest with me. And it was through that feedback that I was able to figure out when I was making mistakes and how to correct those. And without that practice and feedback, you're not going to hone your gifts. And the thing about practicing as a professional or even just as someone who doesn't charge but wants to go around doing readings on everybody, you have to be accurate. And if you're not accurate, you can harm people. And also you have to be able to deliver your gifts on demand. And when you have gifts naturally, they may show up at different times. And so all through my life, before I got serious training, yes, I had natural gifts. Yes, I was always talking to spirit. Yes, I could tune into people and know stuff about them. Yes, I could see into the future sometimes. But it was sporadic, right? I couldn't predict when I was going to get information. But if you want to work with people as a healer, you have to be reliable. That means if someone shows up to see you, you can't be like, oh, I'm having an off day. So the information's not going to be so good today. You have to be able to deliver on demand your gift. And that's really not how psychic gifts work for most people naturally. They don't just work that every single time you want to use them, they're on board. You really have to be on a spiritual path and also a path of learning. And so that, so one part of my training was, you know, the technical training, like just learning how to practice and become verifiable and have your gifts show up on demand. But another aspect of my training was character development. And that happened primarily in the indigenous kind of non-Western traditions I was trained in. So when I was being trained by women healers in Jamaica and in Trinidad, it wasn't just about having gifts. It was about being a good person and contributing to society and living a good life, being on the good path. And so healers had certain rules they had to follow. So like healers didn't drink to excess, healers didn't party, healers didn't cuss, Healers didn't talk bad or gossip about people. There were a lot of expectations. Same thing in the Native American community. If you're going to be a medicine person or a healer of some kind, you're expected to live a certain life and to have a certain relationship with people in general. You don't get to like be a psychic on Monday and then be a, you know, a jerk on Tuesday. <laughs> um <laughs> It's about your whole life. These are the two things that people need to develop when they're wanting to take their gifts and use them to help others. They need to develop their technical abilities, their verifiability, their repeatability, their ability to bring gifts on board on demand, but they also have to develop their character and change their life because you have to live a high vibration life in order to consistently bring through high vibration information. And of course, we can't always do that. And so sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we're going through challenges in our life and it brings our vibration down. But you got to be aware of that because when that happens in your life, then you have to say, okay, I can't work right now. I can't work with clients right now because I need to attend to my own vibration. In order to live a high vibration life, there's so many things that you need to have in place. And 
when I teach, I talk about it's helpful to be in service, to have some type of service work in your life. It's helpful to only surround yourself with high vibration people, to play high vibration music. Don't listen to low vibration music. Don't go to places which are low vibration, like 7-Eleven at midnight <laughs> or bars. There's a lot of spirits, earthbound spirits in bars. You know, there are a lot of environments that it's a good idea to avoid when you're doing this work. And so becoming a healer, becoming an ethical healer, an ethical psychic is not just about what gifts you have or what training you have. It's also about how you live your life. Wow. First of all, I don't think I've met a healer practitioner that's had such a broad <laughs> training in so many different uh, traditions and modalities and have so much experience in all of these ways, which is really beautiful. And what you were touching on as far as the differences between these kind of ancient, traditional, indigenous approaches and then, yeah, thinking in our modern culture, the TikTok spirituality, right? There's people <laughs> who like see something in a really short video and they're like, oh, I'm going to try to do this spiritual thing. And how do we bridge those? Because I don't think a lot of us can live in the way that they did traditionally in indigenous cultures, but there are things that we can take from then and those practices and bridge it into our times now where we are going to be on our computers or be involved with some social media. And so it's really interesting time. And I love that you have just the whole range of it. You have all these different spiritual tradition in this earth-based tradition, but also the science aspect of it to really bring a really well-rounded approach to it. I was thinking that when I did an ayahuasca ceremony, the only one I've done, maybe I'll change my mind, but probably the only one I'll do in my life, we'll see, but that was the one I felt called to do. And there were people, attendees, that were asking questions about why are the men on one side and the women on the other side? Why are we supposed to have our whole body covered? And they're interesting questions. I don't think there are as necessary right and wrong. I think these are interesting questions to bring up. As I said, when we were coming into the Aquarian age where we are in a different energy and there are going to be modifications to things, but there's beautiful things about traditions and there's a reason why things were done certain ways. And then maybe there's also things that we've just kept doing, whether it's in yogic or whether it's in plant medicine or or Reiki or whatever, that maybe just because originally <laughs> back in that time, in that place, they did it this way and people are just still doing it that way. So I just think it's a really interesting time that it's a good idea to question all of these things, but to have a deeper understanding, why do we do what we do and be very intentional about our spiritual practice and our healing practice, but always with what you're saying, the energy intention of what is in alignment with my soul or my spiritual self, what is the intention behind why I'm doing it? Is it of service or is there the spiritual ego, which we're seeing a lot of that might be just showing up in this way. I'm thinking of when I first started teaching Reiki classes and people would project things on me like, oh, Reiki master is not supposed to wear black. And when I was new at it, I was very susceptible to, oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to do that or whatever. And then over time coming into knowing who I am and just looking at the intention behind why I do anything, regardless of how other people do it. So there's this kind of interesting balance between doing something because someone says we're supposed to. Dr. Jennifer Lisa says that I shouldn't go to a bar or, or whatever. And I don't go to bars, but for the same reason that you said <laughs> for the vibration, but for, for people to be able to connect to their own higher self to know why it's important to do these things and not just because somebody says so. Right. You want to be careful about working with teachers who are authoritarian and you have to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And so I don't teach that way because I'm usually teaching when I have more time to explain things. So I wouldn't say to my students, you can't go to a bar. I would just say, 
Keep in mind that if you are a medium and you spend a lot of time in bars, you're going to be exposing yourself to earthbound spirits. And then you're going to have to do a lot more cleansing. I had a colleague who was a medium and she drank a lot and she was always going out and drinking. And I told her when you drink a lot, you are more susceptible to earthbound spirits. And so she would come to me periodically to remove all of these earthbound spirits. And I would have to remove hundreds from her. Like every few months, I'd have to do a spirit release of hundreds. She was a good medium and she just didn't think she should have to give up her partying life to be a medium. And so she didn't, but it came with a lot of baggage. That was something that she then had to take on was all of this kind of energy. And so that's more how I teach, not you can't do this, but be aware of what the consequences are of certain actions. I come from such a mixed background that I, of course, don't follow any one tradition rigidly. But it took me really until my 50s to get comfortable mixing my traditions and not worrying about people having a problem with that. And I think that's something that comes with age and wisdom, Mm -hmm. because sometimes you need to learn the proper way to do something according to a particular tradition as a part of your development. And then when you're more mature and more experienced, you can then start to change things up. So like you say, with the black clothing, there was a period of time where I only did healing in all white. And I did that because I had an elder who told me you should wear white when you heal. She was quite a bit older than me. She had been healing for a lot longer than me. And so I listened to her. And I think that was a really important part of my development. But then I got to a certain point in my development where I decided to start wearing blue instead, because that was just more appropriate for me. I started to tune into these two colors that I work with now, which is turquoise and purple. And those are the colors I tend to work with, not white. I mean, white as well. So yeah, it's about being in tune with your purpose and your own inner guidance. But then we have these teachers that come along, which provide us with guidance following certain traditions. And there's usually some benefit to learning that tradition, even if you're not going to stick to it rigidly for the rest of your life. I think it is good that young people come along and ask a lot of questions about why do we do it this way? Because a healer or a medicine person who truly understands their tradition will be able to explain why they might not always want to, because it may be above your level. And so there is this expectation in Western culture that all knowledge should be available to everyone all the time on demand. But in a lot of traditions, you only receive the knowledge that you are ready to receive. And if you're a beginner, you might not be really ready to go into the intricate details of why we do everything that we do. And so you'll be given a surface explanation. And then when you're more advanced, you'll get more of an explanation, right? (laughs) The thing is, there's a way to challenge tradition in a respectful way versus a kind of ego-based, critical, I know better than you way. And so, for example, I'm a two-spirit. And that means that I don't subscribe to mainstream gender norms. I'm a mixture of male and female energy. And so when I go to sweat lodges, some sweat lodges are kind of rigid about clothing and they want women to wear dresses and men can just wear like shorts and t-shirts. I was trained in a two-spirit lodge by a two-spirit firekeeper. And so I was not trained that way. And so I'm very careful if I'm invited to a sweat lodge, I go and talk to the sweat lodge leader in advance. And I say, look, I'm a two-spirit and I come to them respectfully. I bring tobacco. I'm very humble. And I say, look, this is who I am. This is my training. I'm requesting that I be allowed to enter the lodge dressed as what you would consider a man. I want to wear shorts and a t-shirt. I don't wear dresses. That's not consistent with my gender identity as a two-spirit. And some lodges just won't let me in. And then I know that's not the lodge for me. I don't belong in that lodge. Other lodges will. And sometimes I just don't ask because there are some lodges that I feel the the leader is just too old, too traditional. They're not really aware of two-spirit even though there's more and more awareness in Native community about about two spirits. But the last time I did this, I went to a lodge. I requested in advance before I arrived, I requested that the person that invited me inform the leader that I was 
a two-spirit. And then when I got there, I politely told her who I was and requested. And she did not allow me to wear shorts, but she said I had to wear sweatpants. So it was kind of like a compromise, right? (laughs) And I had brought sweatpants already prepared for that. And I said, oh, I have sweatpants. I can cover my legs which is not a requirement they would make of men, but I was I thought that was a good compromise. I went into the lodge and I have a lot of background. I'm a firekeeper. I have a lot of background. And at the end of the lodge, there was a talking circle and the sweat lodge leader got up and she said, there was a person that came here today who said they were two spirit and they wanted to come into my lodge without a dress. And I really didn't like the idea. <laughs> and I'm, I'm finding out like in public, in this public space, how unhappy she was. I really didn't like the idea. I think that women should wear dresses in the lodge. And I really didn't like the idea, but I let them come in the lodge like that anyway. And I'm so glad I did. She said, I learned something today. I realized this person was giving really powerful healing energy to our lodge. And if I had not allowed them in because of this dress requirement, I would have regretted it. And so she went this huge transformation, right, from being kind of suspicious and hostile about this two-spirit identity (laughs) to having this new awareness. And so that can happen, but it can only happen when you're respectful. If I would just show up and say, I'm not wearing a dress and you need to get with the times and these gender Mm. norms are archaic, right? (laughs) And I know better than you, right? Basically, I'd be saying, I know better than you what you should be doing in your lodge, That would have been totally inappropriate Mm -hmm. and not consistent with how that type of ceremony is run. And so I think there is a way to challenge some of these old norms and do it respectfully. And and sometimes it's just about having someone explain to you why things are the way they are. For example, in lodges, the men and women typically sit separately or the lodges are segregated, women and men. There's a reason for that it's possible to find out what the reason is, and then you'll be more comfortable with that arrangement. Yes. I I love that story. I love that analogy because it speaks to so many different parts of what you wrote about, which is, as you mentioned earlier, living the good life, walking the right path in order to enhance your abilities and your ability to connect to other people. That's really good advice for not just people who are practicing some modality, but just people in general. And I thought a lot of your book kind of spoke to that in a kind of subconscious way is like, here are some good guidelines for life itself. And you spoke about in the beginning of your book, the traits of an ethical psychic. And I think you touched on those just now about walking the right path and being a, just a good person. And then in another part, you spoke about the risks or being a psychic, there are people coming to you who are in many times in a place in their life where they're very vulnerable and sort of desperate because they want answers. They need answers. They're at some crossroads in their life and they came to you for help. And so when someone's in that state, they can be vulnerable to manipulation. And I think someone in a position of being a psychic, and you mentioned this in the book, is in a power position. And so they could potentially do things that are not helpful to you, but helpful to themselves. And so I was wondering if you could maybe just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I have this whole section, the risks of psychic work, and I'll just briefly read the four Well, I I mentioned eight risks in the book. One, invading the privacy of others. Two, client dependency. Three, financial exploitation. Four, making matters worse. Five, perverting the will of another. Six, the misuse of sexual energy. I also talk about fake gurus. And then seven, controlling the destiny of souls. And eight, creating disharmony through portals and possession. A psychic, just by virtue of having gifts, has power over other people because we have access to knowledge that other people don't have. And so this creates a power dynamic. We can't really be equals if I have access to knowledge that you simply cannot access, especially if some of the knowledge I have access to is about you. So that means I have knowledge about you, 
but you don't have the same knowledge about me. So that creates an unequal relationship and it's inherently unequal. And I think this is something that psychics, anyone with supersensory gifts of any kind just have to be conscious of at all times. Because when you have power over somebody, there is always a potential for abuse, intentionally or unintentionally. So we can think of an example of like an adult and a child, right? Because an adult knows more than a child, there is always a way in which an adult can misinform a child about something or manipulate them because the child just doesn't have access to the same knowledge you have. For this reason, those of us who have supersensory gifts just have to be so careful not to harm others. And that's really the main argument of the book is that in order to be an ethical psychic, you have to really be vigilant in making sure that you don't harm anybody either intentionally or or unintentional. And so I talk about all these risks because I want to raise people's awareness of the many ways in which we can accidentally harm our clients. And it's really just about not reflecting. What I really say in the book is you have to reflect on the ways in which you could potentially harm somebody. And so, for example, the risk of invading the privacy of others, it's really easy to kind of get a lot of private information from somebody intuitively that you maybe shouldn't have. So I talk a lot about the importance of asking permission before you read somebody, of not like reading somebody's family member for them without that family member's consent. There are people who used to come to me when I was first starting out and working for other people, working at like these metaphysical shops, and I wasn't picking my clients. People were just walking in off the street and I just had to do readings, right? And I would have all these people coming in saying, oh, yeah, I want you to tell me about my ex-girlfriend. What is she up to? (laughs) Or I want you to spy on my kids for me to see if they're doing what I want them to do. I did have access to that information, but it wasn't appropriate. It would be invading the privacy of people who had not come to me for a consultation. (laughs) And I remember one, one case in particular of this woman who came to see me and wanted to talk to me about her ex-husband. They had been divorced for like 20 years. He was remarried. She had no contact with him because her child by the same person had broken off communications with her. And so she was like, oh, I just really miss my child. And I want to I know how my child is doing. And I felt for her, but it was like, it's not really appropriate for me to spy on this child. And then I gave her a limited amount of information Nothing, just kind of basic stuff like she's okay. But I explained to her, I can't spy on your daughter. As I was kind of tuning in and also just trying to talk to her about this, I picked up that her ex-husband had AIDS. And of course, it would be inappropriate for me to tell her that because that's his private medical information. And so I did not say anything. And then at the end of the reading, she said, well, I heard a rumor that my ex-husband has AIDS and I wanted you to verify that. So inappropriate, right? And I said, well, I'm not going to verify that because it's not, you don't have a right to that information. But it's very easy for for us to get access to information that we don't have a right to. And so it's important to always ask permission before getting information about people. And if you get information about people just spontaneously, because as psychics, I mean, I often get information about people that I don't seek out. I have to ask before I deliver that information. So in the book, it's funny, I talk about this terminology I created as a child when I was about seven years old. My mom was a psychic, and maybe that's why I developed this terminology early. I don't know. But I developed this terminology when I was about seven, that there were people in the world who were mind pickers, and then there were people who were mind knowers. These are basically two kinds of psychics, (laughs) although I didn't use that language as a child, right? A mind picker is somebody who psychically reads you without your permission, goes into your mind or your life and and gathers information about you. Whereas a mind knower is somebody who just kind of spontaneously, without trying, knows things about people. And I determined at, at a young age that being a mind knower was right and being a mind picker was wrong. And here I am 50 years later, and I still feel like that rule that I came up with as a seven-year-old is the right rule. (laughs) (laughs) That it's okay to be a mind knower, but you should never be a mind picker. So you should not invade the privacy of others with your gifts. 
without their consent. And so that's an important risk that there, you have this risk if you have gifts that you will be invading people's privacy. I talk about client dependency and financial exploitation and also sexual abuse. And these are really the big ones that psychics and really all supersensory persons, whether psychic, medium, healer, spiritual teacher are at risk of. So for example, if somebody is coming to you for psychic readings or healings of some kind, and you're charging them, and they become dependent on you. And so this happens with clients, they become emotionally dependent on their psychics or their healers or their teachers. And then they kind of start wanting to come see you all the time, wanting you to solve all their problems, wanting to call you every day or make appointments every week, and they become emotionally dependent on their psychic, it's really unhealthy because then they're no longer really running their life. They're letting someone else run their life. And as a psychic, you have to be on alert about this. So if somebody starts calling me all the time or making too many appointments with me, I'm going to cut them off. I'm going to say, no, I can't see you and make them go on a break. That's because it's not healthy for them. Now, the risk is if you're a psychic who needs the money from your readings, you might be tempted to just let that person keep coming to see you because you're making money off of them. To tell yourself, well, I'm not responsible for them. That was their decision to keep coming to me and making all their life choices based on my readings. But I do think that we are responsible for them. We are responsible for not harming people. We have an advantage over them. A person who's coming to you over and over again for readings is a desperate person. It's a vulnerable person. This is somebody who is having a hard time in their life for whatever reason. Perhaps they're emotionally immature. Perhaps they're dealing with a lot of crisis. Most people who go to psychics, I would say go because they're in desperate need of something. There's a small percentage of people who go to psychics for entertainment, but most people go because they're going through something. The people that come to us are very vulnerable and suggestible because they're desperate, right? And so we have to be aware of that and be very careful and try to discourage emotional dependency. We also have to be careful not to financially exploit people either intentionally or unintentionally. So the example I just gave, in that case, it's really an emotional exploitation. But let's say you have somebody, I had someone like this once who kept coming to see me because she was going through a divorce and the information I was giving her was helping to guide her in the decision she was making about the divorce. And because they were working, she kept coming back, which was fine. It wasn't like she was coming to me all the time, but like once a month. But what I determined after a few readings was that she was really, really had no money. And so I had given her a number of discounts. But at a certain point, I realized that even with the discounts, she couldn't really afford to come see me. She needed to be spending that money on her lawyer, on her kid. And she really couldn't afford these readings. And so I stopped seeing her because I wasn't in a position at that time to give her free readings. I was building my business up and, and I had given her several very low priced readings and I felt like I had given enough in terms of financial assistance. And I just didn't think it was responsible for me to keep taking her money. There are more extreme versions of that where somebody will upsell, right? Oh, come to me for a psychic reading. And then when, once I get you here, then I'm going to say, well, what you really need is an energy clearing. So I'm going to charge you for that. And then, oh, you also need a spirit release. I'm going to charge you for that. And I think that's wrong as well. And so in my practice, I kind of go in the other extreme maybe in that I don't tell people to come back. <laughs> and people will ask me, well, should I come back? And I say, well, see how you feel. If you feel like you need to come back, come back. Oh, you may have gotten everything you needed today. And most of my clients, I mean, my goal with most of my clients was always to answer all their questions in one session. But then if they had other questions later in their life, they might come back. But they should have gotten all their answers to their questions in that session. And they shouldn't have to keep paying me to come back for more, more appointments. And so that's another way you can financially exploit them is keep asking them to come back. Oh, you need this. Oh, you need that. <laughs> and so you got to be aware of that when you go see a healer. 
I think each of those could be like a whole episode. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd love to dig into each one of these things. And I have a lot of experience with each of those things as well. It is interesting because you see both ends of the spectrum where there's a lot of people who are exploiting people now and abusing these gifts. Also, I can resonate with like playing it too far on the other side. There was a period of time where I never would tell my, if my client came for Reiki, but then I realized, oh, actually maybe a hypnosis session would help them more. If they came for hypnosis, I would never, because I'd be like, oh, I don't want them to feel like I'm pushing them, even though I might have something that might really help them. Along the way, my spirit guides would tell me, oh, no, this could really help them. And so I'm always just checking myself, like you said, just checking why am I suggesting this? And if it can really help, then it's okay to bring it up because I found like if a client was coming regularly for Reiki, actually to tell them you might consider just taking Reiki level one so you can be attuned, then you can have your own connection to Reiki. And then you don't need me anymore (laughs) because you can give yourself daily Reiki. And I really think that that would help you with your chronic situation more than coming to me every week or whatnot. And I come from the perspective of the abundant, spiritual abundance. The one and done, a lot of clients come to me for one and done, whether it's a QHHT or or something else. And it's okay because we live in an abundant universe. And so spirit is always bringing somebody different. There's never a lack unless we have that lack mentality. But anyway, I think there are a number of healer practitioners that have gone the other way as well, being too afraid to maybe like they're overgiving. And I like that you brought up there's two sides as far as we have to create healthy boundaries, one to protect the client, but also to protect our energy as well, because it can work (laughs) on both sides. And I've always really liked modalities that are empowering to my client. I've mostly done things where they're experiencing it themselves rather than me figuring anything out for them. That always feels good to me. I do feel like what you're mentioning, self-care is one of the weaknesses of my book. I don't focus enough on the psychic taking care of themselves. My focus is mostly on the client. And book two, um, that'll be your next book. Exactly. I'm going to be talking about that in the next book. Because <laughs> yeah, we, we can overburden ourselves by wanting to focus so much on making sure they're okay and trying to do it all over giving in one session. I've definitely been guilty of that. Yeah, there is. I think all of this is about finding balance. And again, we're moving into this time where we're needing grounded spirituality and grounded spiritual practice and a balance between giver and receiver and a balance between spirit and matter. And all of this is kind of coming to the forefront in the times that we're in. And unfortunately, for some some people are going to learn these experiences through the school of hard knocks. And that's okay. That's what the earth plane is for. You do touch on things like how to charge for your services or how to determine. So I think there are things from that side of the practitioner side as well that you do touch on. Oh my gosh, there's just so much I would like to ask you, but I know we only have so much time. This is sort of on the side, but going back to when we're talking about like, oh, there's places not to go or not advised to go because of the vibration. I was thinking about social media because a lot of times I do find I have to pull myself away because the energy there can sometimes I really notice how it affects me. And I was wondering what your perspective is on social media as far as wanting to curate your vibration. And yeah. Well, I am on social media and social media appeals to me in the way in which it allows us access to such a diverse collection of voices that otherwise we don't have access to. So for example, I've gotten onto TikTok recently and am just blown away by all of these brilliant Black women on TikTok and have never seen anything like this on any other platform. Same thing with young people. So many young people on TikTok who are just very, you know, conscious and smart and who have all these great ideas, but who wouldn't have a platform if it weren't for social media. And so I do think it's a wonderful thing that so many people are able to kind of connect around the world. 
through this network. I'm a person who my purpose is about being a node on the grid, on the light grid on the planet and connecting all the lights. And so there's a way in which the internet is a analogy for that we're all connected by these servers. <laughs> and eventually we're not going to need that because we're all going to be connected intuitively. We're not going to need the technology as a mediation. But I feel like it's kind of a temporary thing that has raised our consciousness about the possibility of being connected globally with other beings. And so in that regard, it's a good thing. But yes, it can also be bad for your energy if you're spending too much time on it. And that's really true about anything, right? Addiction, anything that we overdo, especially if your role on social media is passive. So if you're just consuming on social media, then that's going to take time away from you producing. And so you came to the planet to be something and to do something. We all came with a purpose. And you didn't come to be a passive recipient of knowledge or information. We all came to be participants and producers of knowledge or healing or awareness. The challenge is to be balanced. Are you contributing? Are you on social media because you are connecting with people and you are exchanging information that's in alignment with your purpose? Or are you just on there kind of escaping the stress of your life? <laughs> and so, yeah, when we do start, I find myself doing that when I've had a very stressful day going on to TikTok or Instagram because it's kind of a mindless activity, which is not challenging for me. <laughs> and I have to catch myself and be like, this isn't good for me because it has a way of kind of deadening us mentally. Also, energetically, if you're really focused on a screen, then you're not necessarily going to be hearing guidance from your higher self, from your guides, from your ancestors, because your brain, your awareness is just so filled up with what you're viewing on either TV or social media. And so there's a way in which it can remove us from that meditative space. And we need to have meditative space every day, whether we're meditating or we're walking outside or we're engaged in some kind of art or craft which is repetitive, which allows our mind to become open and to become aware of intuitive knowledge and guidance from the other side. We need to have that meditative space in our life. And if we're on social media all the time or watching TV or any kind of screen or on the computer all day, we're not really giving ourselves a chance to enter into that meditative space where we're going to get wisdom coming through. Yes, absolutely. Very good advice. And can you let our listeners know where they can find you if they want to contact you or your book? Okay. You can find my book everywhere. It's distributed by Penguin Random House. So it's in a lot of local bookstores. If you want to order it online, you could order it from Bookshop, which is a way to get independent bookstores online. You can also order it from Barnes and Noble or Amazon, of course. And I have a couple of websites. My main website is Dr. Vest Medical Intuitive, and that's drvestmedicalintuitive.com. And on that site, I have information about the book, about some of my speaking engagements, and also about my online school, Metatron's Academy. And so currently in my online school, I'm offering a course on medical intuition. And you can access that through that website, or you can go to medicalintuitiontraining.com. And that's just to make it easier to find medicalintuitiontraining.com to access that course. I'm also on Instagram at Spirit Teacher. And what else? I've got a link tree. I'm on TikTok. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much. Really, really. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you very much to Dr. Jennifer Lisa Vest for taking the time to talk with us and for sharing their gifts and knowledge with us. To purchase The Ethical Psychic, you can go to bookshop.org. You can also find it on her website, drvestmedicalintuitive.com. And if you're interested in her medical intuition training, you can go to medicalintuitiontraining.com. 
Dr. Vest also has a podcast called Journal of a Medical Intuitive that can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to everyone that made this podcast possible. Produced and hosted by Tim Howe and Tiana Roser. Music by Casey Henson. For more information about us or to access past episodes, please visit beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. Please remember to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you listen. This really does help other people find us. Thank you and take care.